Well, this week, Thursday, I went out with my wife. We went to the Riverwalk, and uh, I'm always in search for good burger places. I love hamburgers, and so we found this particular place. It's uh, on St. Andrew's Road. I won't mention the name of it uh, for specific reasons, but if you want to know afterwards, just let me know. I'll tell you where it's at. But one of the things that struck me when we went into this burger place was as soon as I walked to the door, I noticed there was some Christian music that was playing, so that caught my attention. And then when I walked in, another thing I noticed was there were Bibles on all of the tables. It wasn't a large place, but I thought, that's interesting. And then they had a blackboard where you could write down prayer requests, and they had verses all up in their restaurant. And so we went and ordered, and while we were eating, we noticed this homeless person walked in, and they went up to the counter, and I heard some discussion going on, and the woman who was there at the cash register, she said, wait here a minute. And so the cook from the back came out, he was a middle-aged man, and he had some words with the guy that was very friendly, and he said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And so he proceeded to go in the back, and he made this particular homeless person a hamburger and some french fries, and he gave it to him. And that really moved me. I thought, wow, this guy and I'm, I was assuming that was his wife at the cash register, they're using their business not only to make a profit, but they're also using it to use their spiritual gifts to bless the community. So I pulled him aside. I asked him what he was doing. Uh, him and his wife had told me that they use their business as a way to reach out to people, and it's amazing how many people they have served meals to. And I thought, you know, that's a good illustration whereby God wants us to use our spiritual gifts to serve other people. And listen, spiritual gifts are not just limited to the church. You could use them in your business. You could use them outside of the four walls of this church right here. God wants us to use our spiritual gifts to serve others. Now, some of you ask the question, what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a capacity or it is a channel that the Holy Spirit works through to serve other people. You were given your spiritual gift at the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit gave it to you, and God wants you to use it to serve other people in the body of Christ. And it's not limited just to Calvary Chapel. You could serve others outside of this fellowship. Now, keep in mind, you were given at least one spiritual gift at the moment of salvation. In fact, you were probably given what I call a gift mix. The best way to illustrate this is when I was in college, I went to school at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. My mom would send me care packages periodically. And usually with that care package, there was one box with multiple presents on the inside. My mom would put in that one box uh, food. She would put clothes. She would put school items. And I used to look forward to getting those things. Well, that's sort of your gift mix. God gives you a multitude of gifts. It kind of comes in one box. And your gift mix is probably made up of one dominant gift. That one dominant gift is the one you're most passionate about, the one you're most effective at using, but he gives you several supporting gifts. So my dominant gift would probably be teaching, and then there is leadership and evangelism. That's my gift mix. Now, some of you may know what your spiritual gifts are. Some of you may not, and that's okay. But as you grow in your walk with God, what God wants you to do is discover how he has gifted you so that you can serve the body of Christ. Because, you know, the Bible says that one day we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's going to ask us what we did with our time, with our treasures, and also our talents. And our talents include spiritual gifts. And we want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. So to see about spiritual gifts, turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 12. As you know, John has been working 
his way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves in chapter 12. Now, this is a challenging chapter because it's very theological, and there's a lot of information here. So, I'm going to fly through it pretty quickly this morning. So, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to go pretty quickly. But let me give you a little bit of background as to what is going on in 1 Corinthians. As you know, 1 Corinthians is primarily a corrective letter. Out of all the churches that Paul started, this one was the most difficult. In fact, no pastor would have sent their resume to the church at Corinth because they wouldn't want to pastor this church. This church had all kinds of problems, and I don't want to review what John has gone over. But they had a problem in the area of spiritual gifts, and so chapters 12 through 14 really serves as a corrective. One of the things that the Corinthians were doing was they were big into experience, much like churches today. They exalted experience over truth. And they were into the tongues and the prophecy because that was a part of their pagan worship prior to salvation. So they brought that spirit of the world into the church, and what they were doing was they were showcasing the spectacular gifts, the miraculous gifts, and they were alienating other people in the church, and they were creating disunity in the church because they were exalting tongues and prophecy and miracles. And Paul has to write a whole chapter on spiritual gifts in chapter 12 to talk about the theology of spiritual gifts and why they're important. Then in chapter 13, he's going to say, guys, you're not exercising your gifts in a spirit of love. That chapter is usually used as the love chapter at weddings, at Valentine's, and that's fine. It has an application for that, but its primary context is he's dealing with the violation of love within the fellowship. And so in chapter 14, he then gives specific procedures as to how they're to use the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues and why prophecy is more important than tongues. And so John is going to be covering chapters 13 and 14, but for this morning, we want to look at chapter 12, and what Paul is going to do is give us a basic theology on spiritual gifts. Now, there are seven principles on spiritual gifts that I want you to know this morning, so jot them down. And again, the goal of this is not to give you information, but I know John's heart is to see a body of believers that are fully mobilized in the ministry. Principle number one, spiritual gifts are important. Spiritual gifts are are important. Notice, if you will, verse 1, he says, now about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, the Greek literally says, now about spirituals. He doesn't even mention the word gifts. Pneumatica means spirituals. Now, from the context, we know he's talking about spiritual gifts, so his translators have added gifts of the Spirit. Why does he call them spirituals? Because they come from the Holy Spirit. He says, now I want to talk about the subject of spiritual gifts. People probably had questions, and so Paul wants to give them an explanation of them because they were being abused. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant about spiritual gifts. And so we extrapolate this principle, spiritual gifts are important because Paul did not want the Corinthians to be ignorant about them. Why? Well, obviously they were abusing them and he wanted the church to function properly, but I think spiritual gifts are important because listen, when gifts in the church are not used, what happens is needs go unmet, tasks do not get accomplished, and what happens is the burden is put on the few. You know, most people who survey the church say, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It's the Prieto principle. It's a business principle, the 80-20 principle. 20% do 80% of the work at the church. By the way, do you know that's true at picnics? 
20% of the people eat 80% of the food? And John and I would be in that 20%, wouldn't we? And so he's saying spiritual gifts are important. Why? Because listen, when people don't use their gifts, people's needs are not met in the body of Christ. And so it's so important. This came home to me when I was in seminary. My wife and I were looking for a church where we could be used. Now, this was before Calvary Chapel started, because two years at the church that I attended in seminary, two years later, Calvary Chapel was planted, and I became a part of this fellowship back in 1997. But we went to a church, you'll see it up on the screen, it's called Chapel of Redemption. In fact, somebody came up to me after the service and said the pastor of this church that's now deceased, he was alive when I was there, he actually married this particular couple that attends here. So that was small world. But I went to this church, and this church didn't teach on spiritual gifts, not that they were opposed to them. So I went in there, and I said, hey, I want to do a course on network. This was produced by a larger church in, the, in America. And so I did this whole course on spiritual gifts, and I'll never forget this older lady walked up to me. She was in her 70s, and she said, Mike, she said, I've never heard spiritual gifts taught. I didn't even know I had a spiritual gift. And I thought, wow, 70 years old, you grow up in the church, and you never hear about spiritual gifts. You see, that's how important they are. And listen, there are churches that are content not teaching about spiritual gifts because here's the mindset. We want the pastoral staff to do all the work. We pay you to do the work of the ministry, especially if you're in a smaller church. A lot of them pay the pastor, and they say, Pastor, that's why we pay you, so that you could do the work of ministry. But actually, Ephesians 4 says we're to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And so we have to understand that spiritual gifts are important. I remember this December, I went to New York City. We went twice a year when I was living in Jersey. I would go to Times Square. We would do evangelism there, and that was a great time. But we'd always go at Christmas to see the lights. And this year, we knew we were moving back here, and so Laura and I decided we wanted to go see the Rockettes. You'll notice the picture up there, Radio City. Maybe you've been there before. And usually it's a whole Christmas production. They have people up on stage dancing. And you have all these people. I mean, they show like four or five shows every day. Thousands of people come through. And you know one of the things that struck me was not only did they do the contemporary Christmas uh, uh, play and all that, but they actually included about a 15-minute segment on the birth narrative of Jesus, which really surprised me because you know how it is in our culture today. It's very politically correct. And they did the whole Christmas narrative with Jesus, the manger, Mary, Joseph, and they sang some Christmas hymns that literally give the gospel. And I told Laura, you know how many thousands of people are going to be held accountable on the day of judgment because they've heard the gospel? They've heard it in New York City at this particular secular venue. But here's what struck me. Most of the people in the audience were spectators. There was only a few people on the stage doing the performing. And you know, unfortunately, that's how it is in a lot of churches. You have the performers up on stage, and you have churches that are filled with spectators. See, spiritual gifts are important because God wants all of us to be involved. Well, there's a second principle that Paul delineates here, and that is this. Spiritual gifts can be abused. Notice, if you will, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 12. He says, you know that when you were pagans, before you became a Christian here, somehow or other, 
you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now, Paul is reminding them here about their pre-conversion. He's saying, you guys were caught up in idol worship. And we know this from reading extra biblical literature in the Corinthian culture. It was a Greek culture. They were caught up in the mystery religions. It was ecstatic types of experiences. And it was a frenzy. It was very emotional. They were caught up into all this type of idolatry. That's what they followed. But true to form, they brought it into the church. He says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, what is going on here? Well, some of the Corinthian church who had the gift of prophecy were actually standing up during the service. And by the way, it was kind of chaotic because if you read chapter 14, he says, one of you stands up and gives a prophecy. Another one stands up and gives a word of instruction. Another one has a tongue. And so it was this cacophony of noise. It was all this confusion in the Corinthian church. And that's why he says, let everything be done decently and in order. Well, someone stood up and gave a word of prophecy, and they would belch out, Jesus is cursed. Jesus is cursed. Now, if somebody stood up here and said that, you would probably turn to your wife and say, Ethel, did you, did you just hear what I heard? Do you hear that person? If John heard it, he would say, uh, please sit down, or would they please escort the person out? But the Corinthians didn't do that. To them, it was normal, and there's two reasons possibly why. Number one, they were putting experience over truth. They weren't concerned about who Jesus was, but they were concerned about the ecstatic experience. And secondly, we believe that maybe Gnostic teaching began to infiltrate the church. Now, Gnosticism in Greek thinking said this, matter is evil and spirit is good. Your body's made out of matter, so it's bad. Spirit is good. You want to get your spirit out of your body, and so God's not going to resurrect your body. That's why he takes all of chapter 15 to talk about the resurrection of the body. Because he says, look, if Jesus was not raised literally and physically, then we're still in our sins. And he says, that means we're not going to be raised. And so he shows them the folly of that Greek thinking. Well, they brought that mindset and they were saying, Jesus is cursed. What do they mean by that? Well, the human Jesus was cursed because he had a what? A body. It's the spiritual Jesus that matters. Or they could have been saying, the Greek could indicate, Jesus grant a curse. Because in that culture, they would curse one another, not using profanity, but pronouncing curses on other people. So whatever the issue, we know it was unbiblical. They were abusing their spiritual gifts by saying Jesus is cursed. And Paul says, no. If the Spirit of God is involved, the Spirit's going to exalt Jesus and say He is Lord because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He exalts Jesus. And by the way, just as a footnote, no one can come to Jesus unless Jesus draws them. You cannot say Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit is working in your heart. And so spiritual gifts were being abused. And by the way, it's no different today. There are a lot of churches that abuse spiritual gifts. In fact, I would think a bigger problem in the church today is not abuse, but misuse or neglect. People are neglecting their spiritual gifts, but they're abused today because if you go into some churches, some people hoard their spiritual gifts. They get very petty. They get very territorial. They get very controlling. Listen, as a pastor the last 18 years, I've had to deal with this in the churches that I've pastored where people get very petty, they get very territorial, and it becomes about one's ego. People wrap their identities in what they do, 
And what happens is, if you change things or move things, people get very upset and very offended, and you ask the question, well, why, why are you doing this? What's your motive? Why are you serving the Lord with your gifts? We see it today with a lot of the televangelists. They're using, quote-unquote, their spiritual gifts, and you know what they're doing? They're fleecing the flock. They're making merchandise out of people. I've heard some of these prosperity guys get up and say, the Lord told me that you are to give, and here's the new trend. The Lord has told me that you are to give $49.49. They literally, they, they, they engage in such specificity, $49.49, so that you will remember it. And you see, what they're doing is they're using their gift to fleece other people and manipulate other people in the body of Christ. And so we have to make sure that we're not abusing our spiritual gift as we serve other people. So number one, spiritual gifts are important. Number two, spiritual gifts can be abused. Third principle that he gives here is spiritual gifts are diverse in nature but come from the same source. They are diverse in nature. There's not one spiritual gift. There is a diversity of gifts, but they all come from the same source. Notice, if you will, verses 4 and 6. Now, there are, here it is, a variety of gifts. We know this. We're going to look at them in a minute. There's a multiplicity of gifts, but the same Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And then he says, there are a variety of ministries. See, if you have a variety of spiritual gifts, it's going to lead to a variety of ministries. And we know this. You can have 10 people with the gift of teaching that teach in different venues, in different outlets. He says, but notice, even though there are a variety of ministries, there is the same Lord, and that's referring to Jesus here. And then he says in verse 6, there are varieties, there's that word again, of effects, and what that means is results. But the same God who works all things and all persons, notice he says there are a variety of gifts that lead to a variety of ministries, that lead to a variety of results. You can get 10 people that have the gift of evangelism, they're all going to have different ministries, and the results that they produce are going to be different. Billy Graham had the gift of evangelism, it led to crusade type of ministry, and their effects were global. Mike Nimmer has the gift of evangelism, Mike Nimmer has a little area of domain that God has created, and the results are minimal. But both are what? Important to God. But notice the Trinity is involved. It's the same Lord, the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit. In fact, if you look at verse 11 of chapter 12, he says, but one and the same Spirit, there is the same source, works all these things, the Spirit distributes to each one individually just as what? He wills. And so here's the point he's making. Spiritual gifts are diverse in nature. There's a lot of different gifts, and out of that's going to come a lot of different ministries in the church, but ultimately, it's God who is behind all of it. Now, my father-in-law, about 15, 20 years ago, contracted MS, multiple sclerosis, a brutal disease. I watched him degenerate over the years, and he finally passed away about three years ago. And my wife went through the grieving process. She had to clean out his place and all that goes along with that struggle of losing your parent. And she took his shirts, and we had a lady in our church that she liked to, I guess, quilt. My wife corrected me in the first service. She said, you pronounced it wrong. Is it quilting, Heidi? I don't know. It is quilting. Okay, because I don't do that stuff. John does, but I don't. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm picking on John too much. 
So anyway, she put together this. If you'll notice this, this is a quilt. Am I correct in calling it that? Because I don't do that. That's a quilt, and that is all of his shirts. This woman, there's only one woman, she took all of his shirts and she formed that quilt so that my wife would have something to remember about her father. And I thought, you know, that's a good picture of the variety of spiritual gifts. You notice the patterns. The shapes are the same, but they're all different designs and patterns, and yet there is one quilt that came from one source, which is the lady Denise who put it together. And that's a picture of spiritual gifts. God gives a variety of gifts that lead to a variety of ministries that create a variety of effects and results, but ultimately God is the source. The Spirit is the source. You say, well, Mike, can I pray for my spiritual gift? You can. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. But listen, ultimately, the Holy Spirit is sovereign in what gift mix you get. And so listen, don't be angry if you don't like the gift you have. You need to thank the Lord for the wisdom and the gift that He gave you and be able to use it. Now, you say, all right, Mike, if there are a variety of spiritual gifts but the same source, what are the variety of gifts that the Spirit has given? I'm glad you asked. Because he mentions here in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12 the different gifts that the Spirit gives to the body of Christ. And listen, these, these lists are not exhaustive. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, some would even add Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter chapter 4 as chapters that talk about gifts. But let me go through them real quickly. We do offer class 301. It's going to be offered again probably this summer, and so I'd encourage you to take the class. But the first gift he mentions in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is the gift of wisdom, a word of wisdom. Now, what is a word of wisdom? Well, that's a supernatural gift that the Spirit gives where you're able to give clear, precise direction to an individual to either solve a problem or to move in a given direction. You give wisdom. It's very practical. Then there is a gift of knowledge, a word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is when God gives you information that you would not otherwise know about an individual or about a circumstance, God gives it to you and you speak that word of knowledge. And by the way, these gifts were very important in the first century, they're important today, but especially in the first century because they didn't have the Bible in its entire form. I mean, pastors couldn't stand up and say, turn to 1 Corinthians or turn to 1 Chronicles. They didn't have First Chronicles. Not everyone had a copy of the Bible, so these supernatural gifts were very important. The gift of faith. That means to trust God for extraordinary things. Now watch this. Are you listening? Say amen. We're all called to have faith, but someone who has a gift has an exaggeration. We're all called to give but someone who has the gift of giving will do it in an exaggerated way. And so, so it is with faith. We're all called to trust God. But someone who has the gift of faith is able to trust God in a greater way, in a supernatural way to see things done. Then there is the gift of healings or gifts of healing. This can refer to physical healing, emotional healing. This is someone whom God has given the supernatural ability to touch someone, to pray for someone, and see them healed. Now again, often this gift is abused, and I think because when we see some of the faith healers today, we see a lot of the antics that go on, and so what happens is the church swings the pendulum and we say, hey, the gift of healing is not for today. Listen, God is, God, God is a God who still heals today, and He does give people this gift, but it's often abused. Then there is the gift of miracles. Miracles is the supernatural ability by the Holy Spirit 
in the Bible to raise the dead and to cast out demons and to do some supernatural work. We often hear miracles in other countries. It's kind of interesting. We don't see it as much in America, and I think part of the reason why is because of our unbelief in this country. Then there is the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is when God spontaneously brings something to mind and you give a word to somebody for encouragement, for hope, and sometimes even correction. Or it can have a predictive element to it like Agabus in the book of Acts. And so God spontaneously brings it to mind. Some of you may have been given words of prophecy before. Then there is the distinguishing of spirits. Again, we're all called to be discerning, but someone who has the gift of discernment or distinguishing of spirits can listen to a teacher and can say, something's off here. They can go into a situation and they could say, hey, the spirit has revealed to me that that person is involved in witchcraft. That person is involved in immorality. Or they would test the teaching and say, something's off. That person's a false teacher. And this was an important gift in that time because, again, they didn't have the written word to compare what they were hearing to. It was available, but not to everybody. Then there is the gift of tongues. Tongues is that supernatural ability to either speak in a foreign language, which is mentioned in Acts chapter 2, or it's that private language that you have with God. We'd call it ecstatic gibberish. It's an unknown language, and that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which John is going to be talking about. So there is the gift of tongues, and then he mentions interpretation of tongues. If you're speaking in another language or in a gibberish, an unknown language, Paul says if you don't interpret that, it doesn't benefit the body in chapter 14. I remember when I was in college, Sanford University, I just recommitted my life to Christ, and my good friend, he played football with me, Mark Burkhead. Burkhead, yeah. He said, people call me Birdhead all the time. I said, don't worry about it, Mark. And so he said, come to my church with me. So I went to a church of God, big church, about a thousand people. Worship was great. As soon as the worship ended, I heard the screaming, and I thought, man, somebody's acting out of order in the church. They need to get her out of here. Well, little did I know that she was speaking in a tongue. And then as soon as she got done, the pastor walked up to the pulpit and he said, can somebody please give the interpretation? And as soon as he said that, this older gentleman, probably 6'2", stood up. And I'll never forget it. It's indelibly impressed in my mind. He started to speak the interpretation. And when I tell you something took a hold of his vocal cords, I'm not dumb. Something grabbed a hold of that man's voice, and I know it was the Spirit of God, and spoke through him like torrential rain. And I listened to what was said, and I'll tell you what, I got goosebumps because it was like I was hearing from Almighty God. And you know, all I remember about that particular interpretation is God said to that church, why do my people tolerate worldliness? Be ye holy, for I am holy says the Lord our God. And listen, I knew this guy was under the control of the Spirit because what he said was biblical, and he wasn't going, you know, the Lord's telling me, uh, blah, blah, blah. you know, I mean, something grabbed a hold of him. That's the gift of interpretation. And then he goes on, Romans chapter 12, real quick, because I want to give you the totality here. 
Prophecy, we already looked at that. Faith. Then there's the gift of helps or service. Probably 80% of the body of Christ has the gift of service. That is, you roll up your sleeves, you want to serve other people. It could be in a formal setting. It could be in an informal setting. Then there is the gift of teaching. That is explaining biblical truth to other people. Then there is exhortation. That means you come alongside other people and you exhort them and say, hey, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Here's the way. Walk ye in it. You've met exhorters before. They have a way of picking you up. Some people call this the gift of encouragement. Then there is the gift of giving. Again, we're all called to give, but someone with the gift of giving does it in an exaggerated way. Then there is leading and administration. This refers to someone who goes before others and they point the way and they say, follow me as I follow Christ. And of course, administration has a little bit of a change there. They're given more to the details of the church, but that's seen in the Greek word as a form of leadership. Then there is the gift of mercy. These are people that know how to bleed with people. Don't you love people who have this gift? Listen, when you're hurting, you usually don't want a leader next to you, do you? Come on, get over it, man. We got a task to accomplish. And you're like, oh, thanks. Way to beat me up during my time of sorrow. But someone with the gift of mercy, they're able to enter into your pain. They're able to empathize with you. They're able to commiserate with you during that time. And then there is the gift. Uh, here are some other ones that are not mentioned in the Bible that if you read different books, they would tell you that these may be spiritual gifts. Craftsmanship. You could read about this in Exodus 32, the two men that built the tabernacle. It says the Spirit gave them that gift. So working with your hands, being able to design, some would call that a talent, some would call it a gift. And by the way, natural talents are not the same as spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts you're given at your new birth, whereas natural talents you're given at your physical birth. God expects both of those to be infused by the Spirit, and He wants both of those to be used for His glory. Some people are very gifted. You look at LeBron James. That's a talent. That's a talent that He's using. Now, I don't know if he's a Christian. I heard he is, but I don't know. Then there is the gift of evangelism, never mentioned in the Bible. Evangelist is mentioned, but we can extrapolate from that that there is an evangelism gift, and we see people who have that gift. Then intercessory prayer. These are people that really pray three, four hours a day for people. Music. Some would say hospitality, mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4. And then, of course, there are people based on 1 Corinthians 7 that mention singleness or martyrdom. I don't see those as spiritual gifts. I see those as callings. Anybody here want the spiritual gift of martyrdom? I didn't think so. There's no takers for that one, right? Or how about singleness? Paul says some have their gift, and so that's why they say singleness, but I think that's a calling. So here's the point, people. There are a variety of gifts, but they come from the same source. What are the variety of gifts that lead to a variety of ministries, that lead to a variety of results? He gives them here in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. How can you find your gift? Well, there's three things you need to ask. Number one, ask God. You need to ask God, Lord, what is my spiritual gift? Ask the Lord what your spiritual gift is. Secondly, you need to ask other people. You need to ask other people. And listen, the reason why you need to ask others is because people often see you differently than you see yourself. We all have blind spots. There are people that think they have the gift of teaching, but no one has the gift of listening. And so they don't have the gift. And you and I have met people that thought they were gifted in certain areas, and you didn't want to break their heart and tell them, look, you're not gifted, especially people who can't sing. 
Yeah, it's really painful. And I'm not trying to be critical here, but you and I know that. So ask other people, hey, how do you perceive me? What do you think my gifts are? And then finally, you need to ask yourself. Ask yourself what? What do I like to do? What are my desires? You know, often when God gives you a gift, whether it's a talent or a spiritual gift, He'll put a motivation in you. He'll put a desire in you to go in a given direction. I remember when I was attending that church, Chapel of Redemption, the pastor gave uh, an invitation at a Sunday night service, and this guy in a leather coat walked right up to the front. He got down, he repented, and he got saved. His name was Jack, great, great drummer. He got gloriously saved. God transformed his life. He was into the alcohol, drug culture, all that stuff. And I remember in the next six months ensuing, he was telling everybody about what Jesus had done for him. What gift do you think he had? Evangelism. See, that's what came natural to him. So what do you love to do? What are your desires? But listen, the key is this. Are you listening? Say amen. Do something. Do something. You may not know what your gift is, But I'll tell you what, when I recommitted my life to the Lord, I remember saying, Lord, I want to serve you in some way. What can I do? And I remember the church that I was attending in Miami, Florida, I wasn't pastoring at the time. After I prayed that prayer, a guy walked up to me at service and he said, you know, Mike, I've been praying and the Lord put you on my heart that you're to teach the junior high Sunday school kids. I said, what? I said, all right, I'll do that. See, I knew God had opened that door. So listen, be available. You know what God wants? He doesn't want your abilities. He wants your availability. Because God can work through you if you're willing to be available. And a lot of Christians, they're not willing to be available. So spiritual gifts are important. Spiritual gifts are abused. Spiritual gifts are diverse, but they come from the same source. There's a fourth principle that he delineates here, and that is this. Spiritual gifts are to be used in the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice, if you will, verse 6. He says, there are a variety of effects but the same God who works. Circle that word works there. It is the Greek word energizes. We get energizer bunny from that. In other words, you have a spiritual battery living on the inside of you. That spiritual battery is the person of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, when you and I use our spiritual gifts, we're to use them in the power of the Spirit. Because ultimately, that's what God's going to reward If I use my gifts in the flesh for my glory and I use them for the wrong motives, listen, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble on the day of judgment. But if I use it in the power of the Spirit, God's going to honor and reward me. And that's an act of His grace. Now listen, being filled with the Spirit's not a mystical thing. Doesn't mean you're going to speak in tongues all the time. Being filled with the Spirit, listen carefully, is letting the Holy Spirit control you. See, at any given moment, you're either under control of the flesh or the Spirit. All of us know when we get in the flesh if we're walking with God. And so you got to let the Spirit control you. One of my favorite movies, you remember it, you'll see it up on the screen, Back to the Future. Remember that movie? That was a great movie back in the 80s. And the one thing I love was Doc Brown. Remember Doc Brown, that weird scientist? And if you go to the next screen, you'll tell me what this is. I'll have you guys. What is that? Ah, I see. You watched the movie, The Flux Capacitor. And you know what The Flux Capacitor was for? It made time travel possible. But here's the thing. You had to have plutonium in the movie that fed the flux capacitor in order for time travel to happen. But guess what happened? When you fed the plutonium into the flux capacitor, it had to produce, next slide, 1.2, what is it? Gigawatts. 
That's the power. Do you realize you have 1.2 gigawatts living on the inside of you? You have the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. And listen, we're to submit to that power. We're to do ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit as we use our spiritual gifts. Well, there's another principle that he gives about spiritual gifts, and that is this. Spiritual gifts are for the purpose of serving others. They are not for my ego. They are not for my own self-aggrandizement. Look what he says in verse 7. But to each one, each one, if you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. The issue is not whether you have a gift. The issue is whether you've discovered your spiritual gift. Each one is given. And here's a definition of spiritual gifts. The manifestation of the Spirit. Whenever you use your gift... It is the Spirit manifesting Himself through you, but notice He says here it's for the common good. Why did Paul have to say that? Why did Paul say there are a variety of gifts? Why does Paul say the gifts are for the common good? Because the Corinthians were abusing the gifts. They thought it was for them, especially the people that had tongues and prophecy. It was all about them showcasing their ego. And he says, guys, you're, you're missing the point here. The gifts are for the common good. It's not for the few in the church. It's to benefit and be a benediction to the body of Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. How many needs are there in the church? There's physical needs. There's emotional needs. There's spiritual needs in the church. We are called to fulfill the Great Commission. That is our task. But let me show you what happens. When people decide to sit, soak, and sour, and they don't want to use their spiritual gifts, you know what happens? Needs go unmet. Tasks do not get accomplished. And you know what happens? The few have a lot of pressure on them to get the work done. But what could God do if Calvary Chapel, if 100% of the people that are coming here that know Jesus Christ and profess His name, what could God do with a fully mobilized body of believers that was willing to get out of themselves and say, Lord, I'm going to serve you? I'm going to put you first. Yeah, there is a time to rest. There's a time to receive. Sometimes we get hurt. Sometimes we do get burned out. And we got to have those periods of respite. God understands that. But you know what? God doesn't want us to sit, soak, and sour the rest of our life. He wants us to be involved for the common good. And listen, the, the common good, they're not going to receive that good if all we want to do is be Sunday Christians only. God wants us involved. I remember a guy named Fritz Chrysler. You'll see his picture up on the screen. I didn't know him personally because he lived in the late 1800s into the early 1900s. But this guy was an awesome violinist from what I read. And he would travel the world playing, and they said he made a lot of money. But one of the things that he did was he was very generous, and so he gave his money away. Well, one day he found this violin that was a masterpiece. He wanted to buy it. But the problem was he had no money because he gave it away. And so he finally raised enough money to go get this collectible item, this violin, only to find out to his chagrin that the violin had been sold to another collector. And so he went to that collector and he said, sir, I would like to buy the violin from you. And he said, here is the money. And you know what the particular man said? The man said, sorry, guy, it's not for sale. He says, I, I love these types of violins. It's a collector. I'm going to keep it. Well, Fritz couldn't overcome this guy's reluctance, so he walked out, and right before he walked out the door, he turned around, and he said, can I play this violin one last time before it's consigned to silence? And the man said, sure, go ahead. He began to play it, and the music was so sweet and so overpowering, the story goes that the collector began to cry, and he looked at Fritz, and he said, you know what? 
He said, it would be a shame if I kept this to myself and didn't allow you to have it to bless the world. So he said, here, take it. And he said, bless other people. And you see, you've been given a violin. And what God wants you to do is he wants you to play it. And he wants you to play it, why? To bless other people. It is for the common good. Well, there's another principle that he gives, and that is this. Spiritual gifts demonstrate our unity and diversity within the body of Christ. And what he's going to do here is he's going to use a human body to demonstrate that the church is one, but it's made up of many parts. Look at a human body. What a great illustration. He says in verse 12, for even as the body, your physical body is one, even though some of us are spazzes, for even the body is one, yet it has many what? Members. We have eyes, hands, feet, noses. We have internal organs. And all the members of the body, though they are many, even though you're made up of many different parts, your body is one. Now look at the screen here. You'll see the human body. You know, I often told my wife, if God didn't call me into ministry, I would have gone to the medical field. I would have probably been a paramedic. I don't think I had the smarts to go to, uh, to be a doctor, medical school. But I love the human body. There's 12 systems in the body. And listen, every system is different, but you know what? The body works together as one. In fact, look at this quote. The human body contains trillions of cells, which, by the way, proves God exists. Because listen carefully. You know in one cell, what's in one cell? Does anybody know? DNA. DNA, listen carefully, is an encoded language, ACTG. And it has specified complexity. And listen carefully, I always use this against atheists, they can't argue with me. I say, if the cell has information inside of it, which is a language, I said, are you ready? Information always comes from mind. It couldn't have evolved. That's the way God has wired us. The human body contains trillions of cells, 78 different organs, and more than 60,000 miles of blood vessels. If you stretch them end to end, incredibly, all these cells, here it is, vessels and organs, what does that say? Say it out loud. They what? To keep you alive. All different body parts, all different functions, but it works harmoniously to form you. Now, that's an analogy of the church, the body of Christ, because look what he says. So also is Christ. What's true of the human body is true of the body of Christ. Verse 13, for by one spirit, how are we one, Paul, in the church? Here's how. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Greek, whether you're a slave, whether you're free, we were all made to drink, there's that word again, one spirit. See, we're one in the church. Just like the human body is one, Paul says, so it is in the church. We are all one. How are we one? Well, we all have the same Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. We all have the same destiny. We all have the same Bible. We're all one with Jesus Christ. You see, we're one with Christ, and we're one with every other believer. And that's how it is in the church. And Paul says, not only are we one, but look what he says in verse 14. For the body is not one member, but what? many. Just like your body is one and it has multiple members, so it is in the church. The church is one. You see, by the way, by the way, 
The Bible says in Ephesians 4, to preserve the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't say generate the unity of the Spirit. He says preserve it. Why? Because you already have it. He says if you want to preserve unity, you got to work at it. you got to be humble. you got to be patient. you got to be loving. And see, the church is one, but it's made up of many different parts. And so here's the point he's making. Spiritual gifts have been given to the church, and it's like a human body. There's a lot of different spiritual gifts, but all of those gifts are to work together as one, just like a human body. Your human body is made up of many different parts, but it functions as one to accomplish a purpose. So it is in the church at Calvary Chapel. God's given everyone here different personalities, different talents, different gifts. But you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to take the multiplicity of gifts and talents, and he wants to weave them together in a tapestry where we're accomplishing a common purpose. When I was just married in Miami, Florida, my wife would drop me every day off at Baptist Hospital in Miami because I had a job there. You can see the picture up there. My job was to go throughout the different departments of the hospital and deliver supplies, whatever the supplies were. I loved it because I could have my prayer time as I'm walking and delivering these supplies. And then one day it dawned on me. As I was walking to the different departments, I noticed a multiplicity of people. You had doctors, you had nurses, you had administrators, you had people working in the food department, you had people that were taking out the trash, you had people in the warehouse loading orders, and on and on and on it went, and then boom, the light hit. I said, you have a multiplicity of people that all have different gifts, different talents, and yet, they're trying to take all the differences in the hospital and work it together to accomplish a common purpose. And what was that purpose? Healthcare. And that's the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the purpose of gifts is not to divide the body. The purpose of gifts is to unify the body so that we meet each other's needs. And so, spiritual gifts demonstrate our unity and our diversity within the body of Christ. Well, there's one final principle that he gives about spiritual gifts, and that is this. Spiritual gifts can be hindered by sinful attitudes. Now, here are the two sinful attitudes that Paul mentions here. Let me give them to you before you read it so it makes sense. There were some in the Corinthian church that had an inferior attitude. Well, you know what? I'm not a, I'm not a nose, so I'm not part of the body. I want to be an eye. Well, you know what? I'm just a stinking foot. Feet stink. I want to be a tongue, so I'm not part of the body. I'm going to take my toys and go home. Inferiority. I don't matter. My gifts are not important. Woe is me. Calvary doesn't love me. That was the inferiority. And then you had the people that had another sinful attitude, superiority. <laughs> I speak in tongues. I give words of prophecy. So you know what? You people, you people that do maintenance out here, not really that important. Cleaning the toilets? It's teaching. That was the mentality in Corinth. Superior. And Paul blows it away and says, guys, every gift matters. That's like saying, my liver doesn't matter. My liver filters waste. It's nasty. So it doesn't matter. Really? Try living without a liver. He says we're one in the church. 
We're interdependent. We need each other. When one part suffers, we suffer together. When one part rejoices, we rejoice together. He says, listen, every part of the church is important. Now, that's the context. Now, let me read the verse. It'll make that much more sense. Verse 15, now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. He says it would, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. That would be like a nurse saying, you know what, because I'm not a heart surgeon, I'm leaving this hospital. I don't matter. Well, you and I know doctors couldn't do what they do without nurses. Verse 17, if the whole body, Paul shows here the irony of their thinking. He says, come on, guys, think about this. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? See, everybody in Corinth wanted to be an eye. They wanted to speak in tongues. And Paul says, guys, the ear is just as important. Imagine if you couldn't hear. Everyone can't be an eye. My dad found out about this. My dad couldn't hear out of one ear. So he went to uh, the ear doctor. Guy looked down. He says, dude, you got enough wax in there to make a candle. (laughs) Cleaned it out so my dad could hear. You see, everybody, whether you're an eye in the church, whether you're an ear in the church, you are important to God. There is no inferior ministry. Verse 17, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Listen, isn't smell great? I love smelling fresh baked bread. But you know what I can't stand smelling? I cannot stand it with a passion is nail polish remover. Oh, my girls, and I had three girls. I said, Lord, what are you doing to me? When my girls would put on the nail polish remover or take it to get off the nail polish, I would go in the room and say, pop the window. You're going to get high smelling that stuff. He says, listen, everyone wanted to be an ear. Everybody wanted to prophesy. And he says, guys, smell is important. I had a friend when I was in high school. We were at this party, and we were leaving the party, and my buddy was driving his pickup truck, me and a guy named Bob and another guy were in the back of the pickup truck. And we were leaning over the window, kind of goofing around, trying to do this to my friend. Well, he started goofing around, and he hit his brake. And my buddy popped out of the car. He flipped out, went in the air, and landed on his head on the concrete. And he literally was flapping around like a flounder. I thought he was dead. I mean, I was freaking out. The cops came. The ambulance came. He's fine. He's now in his 50s. But to this day, he has no sense of smell, and he can't taste his food because it damaged his brain. You see how important taste and smell is? But in fact, verse 18, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? You see, God operates through a body, not one organ. If everybody played football, wanted to go out for quarterback, you wouldn't have a team. That's his point. Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. Listen, on a football team, you have 22 players, but it's one team. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. See, here's the attitude of superiority. In the previous verses, he was talking about inferiority. Now he's talking about superiority. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Imagine Deshaun Watson saying to his team, 
Guys, I don't need you. I can win the national title myself. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Imagine Dabo Sweeney saying to the coaches, you know what, guys? Appreciate your time, but from here on in, I got it. I don't need you, so you're all fired. I'm going to be the coach, and I'm going to win the national title myself. On the contrary, verse 22, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. We don't need the water boy. All these players are cotton mouth. <laughs> I need water. Where's the water boy? Oh, sorry, coach fired him. See, the water boy may not seem important, but listen, he is important in hydrating those players. And listen, your gifts are important in this church. Don't ever think that your gifts do not matter. Verse 23, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. What would happen if the U-turn didn't keep up the grounds here? And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. He's talking about your private parts there. You cover them up. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. That's why God has put the body together with a multitude of gifts, so that there wouldn't be division in the church, but that its parts, he says, verse 25, should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And then he says this to them as he closes. Now, you are Christ's body, you at Corinth. You at Calvary Chapel. And individually, you are a member of the body of Christ. And God has appointed in the, in the church first apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. In other words, God's given a multitude of gifts. Tongues and prophecy are not the only gifts, as he's saying. And then he says this all are not apostles. Are they? And the Greek says, no. All are not prophets, are they? No. Stop thinking that, Corinthians. Everyone is gifted. All are not teachers, are they? No. All are not workers of miracles, are they? No. All do not have gifts of healings, do they? No. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? Well, what's the answer? No. You say, well, what's the answer? Here it is as we end in verse 31. Now eagerly desire the what? Greater gifts. Yet I will show you the most excellent way. Now here's what he's saying. Don't tune me out here. Listen carefully. Inferiority. I don't matter. My gifts don't matter. They do. Superiority. I'm better than you. Paul says, no. We're interdependent on each other. We work together as a body. We work together as a team. Everyone's gift matters. You need to have an attitude of love. Now, let me tell you what this verse is saying. He's saying there, you are coveting the greater gifts. This is not a command to desire the greater gifts. The Greek indicates that this is actually a criticism. He's saying, you Corinthians are coveting the greater gifts, tongues, prophecy, but I'm going to show you a better way. Chapter 13, the better way is love. And he's saying, stop with your bad attitudes of inferiority and superiority and start loving each other and realize that everyone has value in the church. And so, 
We've seen the seven principles this morning. Here's my prayer for you, and I know John desires this too, is that all of us here would know what our spiritual gifts are. And if you don't know what they are, just start getting involved. We have a lot of needs in the church. And by the way, it's not limited just to the building. If you want to serve outside of the church, use your gifts. That's where evangelism takes place. But God wants to use you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for reminding us of spiritual gifts. Father, the Corinthians needed to be corrected. And Lord, sometimes we need to be corrected because either we misuse spiritual gifts or we don't use them. But I thank you for what you're doing at Calvary Chapel. I thank you that you're raising up workers and laborers at this fellowship. And if you're sitting here this morning, maybe God spoke to your heart. Maybe God spoke to you that you need to get involved, that you need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And listen, we don't want to pressure you here. We want it to be spirit-led. But if God has spoken to you this morning and God is calling you to get involved, just talk to me or John. You should have been given a list of different ministries. It's on the information table. Call the person involved in that ministry and take a step of faith. If you're willing to take a step of faith, God can use you. Father, help us to have clean hearts and available hands to serve you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.